The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our host, Joel Wipperforth, Ag Technology Applications Lead for Winfield United. Joining us again in the studio today to talk nutrient management is John Zook, Winfield United agronomist based in southern Minnesota. Joel, can you tell us about plant growth regulators and how farmers use them? Yeah, so I think the growth regulator piece is really interesting. It's a way to get your plant going on a different playing field. It accelerates some naturally occurring plant mechanisms. But, John, you've also had some experience with these growth regulators that there's a a nutritional component that goes along with them. How do I match plant growth regulators with the right crop nutrition plan? So, yeah, I think, Joel, one way that we can match that crop nutrition to the right plant growth regulator is making sure that that plant starts off in the right foot. And we know that by applying a plant growth regulator, the one we always use is Ascend. It's a combination of three, right? You got gibberellic acid, you got cytokinin, and you got auxin in there helping that plant make decisions. And a lot of times I like to think about it this way is it actually kind of forces that plant into making the right decisions during germination. So we're coaxing that plant to come up out of the ground. We're coaxing that plant to get bigger roots, have a bigger stock. But in order to do that, we need to have a few key components there in the first place. And so I think the first one that we got to have there is phosphorus. Especially in that germinating plant, phosphorus is the energy source for that plant to get up, get up out of the ground. So you could tell the plant, hey, it's time to merge, it's time to get up, it's time to move real quick. But if you don't have any energy for it, it's going to probably fall over. You might stress it out more than anything. So making sure that phosphorus is definitely a component, especially in that starter application, is probably a big deciding factor there. The other thing is zinc application. So I always like to pair phosphorus and zinc with a PGR because uh, zinc is that forklift in the seed. So feeding the carbohydrates from the endosperm into the embryo, zinc is definitely a very important nutrient to be used in the seed to help that plant have some early season vigor along with the benefits of a PGR inferral. Yeah, so as you look at, you know, 2018 and commodity prices, you know, everybody's looking for that edge and they really want products that have a, a consistent return on investment. We've studied uh, Ascend in the answer plots for a number of years. Do you think it's a mainstay in a crop plan at this point? Well, I don't know. You tell me. We have 2100 38 replications and 295 sites that tells us Ascend is 4.94 bushel when paired with phosphorus and zinc. Is that a mainstay? It's pretty pretty good odds. Yeah, so I think when we pair it with the odds, so, so I think our answer plot data really tells a story. But then when we dive into the data and we look at metadata, looked at the information behind that data, we start to see that if you're cool and wet at planting, meaning that your soil temperature is below 50 degrees and your moisture is above two inches two weeks after planting, you can see that 80% of the time you're getting that 4.94 bushel versus if you're warm and wet or warm and dry, which is what the ideal conditions are when we are planting corn, perhaps that uh, return on investment or that potential of seed response is significantly decreased, maybe that 50-60% of the time. Yeah, I think when you look at growers that are trying to push maturities and drive the full season photosynthesis out of their plants, they really end up wanting to plant earlier and earlier. And this is one of those places they get put into a situation where it is cold and wet in a lot of situations. So at least in southeastern Minnesota here, actually every meeting that I do, I always ask the growers, hey, 
Which one of you guys plants uh, your corn when you got 50 degree soil temperatures? How many guys do you think raise their hand? There's none of them. All of them do, of course. <laughs> oh, they They're do. not going to tell you to your face, right? <laughs> they all, you got to read their body language. Yeah. Their hand might be saying they're planting corn when it's 50 degree soil temperatures, but their eyes certainly aren't saying that. <laughs> so we know that uh, most of our corn in Minnesota here, southern part of Minnesota, does not get planted in 50 degree soils. And that's where we see the biggest response to that phosphorus zinc and, and and uh, PGR application. So there's other growth regulators that are out there beyond Ascend helping get a, a good start to the season. We've toyed around with Optify Stretch, which is a different way that growth regulators work. Yeah, so uh, Optify Stretch is kind of an interesting product that we've been toying around with. And I think with our answer plots, we've allowed to fish a lot of uh, information out of those to say, when can we apply it? How do we see the best timing of response? And what we know with that product is it's actually a combination of a couple amino acids as well as a a seaweed extract. And it does really, really good when we're in a more stressful type of environment. So when we think of, uh, we just got done talking about uh, 50 degree soil temperatures, I'd say that's a good stressful environment. So it does pair very well with Ascend based on our research. But the other thing is, is it pairs well the seaweed extract does a very nice job helping that plant tolerate any salt stress, any drought stress early on. And then the two amino acids in there, arginine and tryptophan. So tryptophan. Like the turkey? Yeah, like the turkey. But only tryptophan doesn't make our plant sleep like we do. Tryptophan actually wakes our plant up and helps cycle in the synthesis pathways for nitrogen utilization. So it's very important in that nitrogen utilization as well as that arginine component, that other amino acid, and making that plant more efficient photosynthesizing and using nitrogen as efficiently as we possibly can. One of the things that always amazes me about uh, growth regulators is the amount that you use. It tends to be really, really small. And when I talked to growers this summer about uh, dicamba, and they, you know, th- this is one of the places where you go, you know, if you don't believe that a plant growth regulator, that just a little bit can have a big impact, you go ahead and try to put just a thimble full of dicamba into your spray tank and see if it won't cup your soybeans. So that small, small, small amount of PGR that's needed initially to make that decision that that plant is doing brings up the Optify stretch component. I mentioned tryptophan. Tryptophan, did you know tryptophan was actually, it's actually a precursor for auxin production as well? I didn't wake up thinking about that today. So, I mean, thinking about the components of Ascend, we have auxin and Ascend. One of the other uh, PGR biological things that we're using, we're actually starting to use precursors of these components because we we want that plant to naturally synthesize them when it needs it. So we give it the components, the upstream components. So when the plant says, hey, I need oxen, I need to start making a branch or making a root, whatever it might be, it has the components, the upstream components to then synthesize that hormone and create the response. So that's how small of an amount we need is sometimes we don't even need the actual component, the PGR. We just need the upstream factors to make that process happen. Very, very small. You know, you you talked about plant stress, and I, I think that that's such a relative term. One of the technology tools that our field team had some really good success with this year that helped them identify which fields 
were under the most stress was actually R7's field monitoring tool. And this uses a, a low-resolution satellite image on a daily or sub-weekly basis that would tell you if the field is trending up or trending down on biomass. And you know what was one of the things that was really interesting this summer is if the field was white or in the unchanged status, those tended to be pretty uniform, pretty even fields. But if the field was trending down, those tended to be some fields that some things were going south in, whether it was a new disease becoming present, the droughty area of the field, that the field was under water stress. But even in some situations when the field was trending up, there was some things like weeds that were out there. So the field monitoring tool, it was interesting to go through on an operation-by-operation operation basis that you didn't need to get to every field that day, but it really helped you sort out which fields might be under stress or which fields might have some different need for different types of attention. You say that trending factor in, and one of the experiences that I had with field monitoring tool this year with the trending up and trending down was actually in an alfalfa field. So thinking about alfalfa and how to manage that that season-long approach, what we were able to find was maybe the fields that were trending down after second cutting, we started to lose some stand looking back and going and scouting those fields there's a lot of traffic over those acres maybe it was a little wet when it was harvested those sorts of things allowed me to say "Ooh, maybe i need to do some crown assessments across that acre and start splitting some crowns to see if i need to keep that stand in production or if i have to pull it out those sorts of things the other experience that i had was rather interesting this year is it seems like one of the things in my area what everybody will not quit talking about is white mold. It was so emotional this year, the way it sprung up on everybody. And the yield loss was, we're talking 20, 25 bushel yield losses. When I saw that white mold in the field, looking back at the field monitoring tool, actually was trending those fields down probably 10 to 14 days prior. Now, I don't know if that would have told me that I had to do anything differently. It was probably too late. What we know with white mold infection is probably we already infected but it maybe helped me prepare the conversation that I needed to have with my combine operator or maybe with my banker of what to be expecting for yields and those sorts of things. You know what a really good resistant variety to soybean white mold is? Corn? Corn. <laughs> I like corn too. <laughs> what do farmers need to know about nitrogen stabilizers? So I think uh, with nitrogen stabilizers, there's a lot of products out on the market. I think the first thing that you need to understand about nitrogen stabilizers is what form of nitrogen are you using? And then what are you trying to fix? Is your form of nitrogen more prone to volatilization? Is your form of nitrogen more prone to leaching or denitrification? So knowing which form of N you're using, and then also knowing uh, what that what form of N and how you're applying it will help you choose the right stabilizer. Now, we have a technical bulletin that we put out that I think has 10, 12 different nitrogen stabilizer products and actually spells those stabilizers out very nicely of, hey, if you're using this, here's the product and here's the rate. So I always like, I kind of like decision trees, Joel. You're a sucker for a decision tree, I am tree, a John. sucker for decision trees. Uh, you know, any picture that says, hey, this works, so go here, or this doesn't work, so go there, I kind of just fall into that loop. And as long as it doesn't have a negative feedback loop and just keeps spinning me around in a circle, I can normally find my way through that decision tree pretty well. 
Yeah, so I think about the three tiers of nitrogen management, and the first one is to stabilize your nitrogen, whether it's from surface volatility or from leaching. That's a key aspect. The second tier of nitrogen managers uh, would be split application, that you're trying to divide that up and meter it out just during the time that the corn plant needs it or that your crop needs it, maybe it's wheat. And then the third one is measure what you're trying to manage. And in that measurement one, there's a couple ways to measure your nitrogen in this case and see if what you've stabilized is still out there. You can use a nitrate sample, a soil nitrate sample. You can use a tissue sample to see if the plant is deficient in that. And then, you know, a third one that's that's pretty new, of course, is uh, crop modeling. And you can use that as, as one of the key ways to help see how well these are stabilized. A lot of the crop models are trying to understand the dynamics of how nitrogen stabilizers either hold nitrogen in the soil or keep it from surface volatility. And they do a pretty decent job of modeling out the characteristics that hold nitrogen in the soil. So I think those are those are kind of three places that it's not just about using a nitrogen stabilizer, but it's also about using tools like split applying in and also crop models to help get nitrogen into the plant and keep it from moving off target. So Joel, since you've talked about those three tiers, I got to ask a question. What rate of N do you put on your farm? <laughs> So the, the rate of nitrogen, boy, that's a, that's a tough national question to, to ask. Uh, I always like to ask that question in a group of growers. What's your nitrogen use efficiency? Your The pounds of N divided by bushels of grain produced. And it's amazing. I, I get anywhere from uh, 1.3, some of them that are going out there, and it seems like when they get above 250, they're not afraid to splash a little bit more down, and all of a sudden they're out there at 1.3 pounds of nitrogen per bushel. Some of the most efficient producers that are optimizing pounds of nitrogen per bushel are down at the 0.7. 0.7 is probably the point where I would say you might be losing yield if you go down lower than that to a 0.6 and 0.5. So I would say some of the best growers out there are at a 0.7 pounds of nitrogen per bushel, whereas maybe you're up there at the 1.2, you probably have some lighter soil. You're probably applying too much nitrogen too early and you're leaving a lot of it at risk out there of moving off target in the environment. Yeah, so you handled that question exactly how I was going to handle it. That was a tough question. A lot of the time when I go back to thinking about, I get this question all the time, what rate of end do you put out? And I mean, I don't even have that big of a geography, and that changes by geography and by hey, by even farming practice half the time. And, and I really think that uh, there are a lot of growers out there that if they do their pounds of N per bushel, they're getting, I think the the good ones want to kind of straddle that uh, one to below one. So say 0.8 pounds of N per bushel, that sort of thing. Good farming maybe might allow you to get down below that 0.8, maybe to that 0.7, but then you're also bringing in maybe a little bit more risk into the operation. So you might be able to manage pretty low, but then you got to think about your risk. And I think by implementing your three-tier strategy, you can start to manage around that risk of, hey, can you split apply? So one of the biggest things that I see coming down with the split application method that you talked about was... uh, a lot of times guys will plan to split apply, but a lot of times then they're, we're scared to pull out enough N from the fall application or from the spring application. So say, hey, I'm going to split apply, but I'm going to put 150 pounds up front. Well, that's 80% or you know 90% in some cases of what you're going to put out total. I'm not sure that a split application of 10 to 20% of your total N applied is really part of that three three-tier management strategy. I think you almost have to be down to that over that 50% 
100% mark of in-season application if you really want to do that. So from what I see in the field is say if you're going to put down 160 pounds of actual total across that farm, Maybe you should start with a upfront application of 80 pounds and then come back and try to side dress uh, that 80, that extra 80 pounds in season. Now, maybe that might look a little differently depending upon your capabilities of getting across those acres, but that's the general practice that I see definitely happening. And then when you start to manage down to that, that low, that three-tier management strategy, having a model or having something else in the play is also going to give you some predictive factor to build confidence in your decision. Is, is the end rate that I have down right now going to get me through the season or am I did I get a bunch of rainfall that maybe didn't document or maybe forgot about in June now I have to make up for it somehow some way you know that was one of the things uh, one of our prior guests on the show uh, Jim Hedges had talked about on his farm in Illinois was you know emotionally that rainfall came he thought he had a really wet spring and he's pretty aggressive he's pretty aggressive farmer and he was going to go back out there right away and side dress right after the rainfall and what that nitrogen model said is you know yeah you did get a lot of rain but it's also been really cold and you hadn't mineralized that nitrogen into the soil solution where it was going to be mobile. And it actually held him off another two weeks on making his side dress application, which, you know, from a ROI standpoint, meant that he wasn't spending dollars he didn't need to spend. So I think that was one of the cool things that Jim had brought up on a prior show of delaying those input decisions till you know just a little bit more. And just knowing rainfall doesn't necessarily complete the equation of knowing what your soil mineralization of for nitrogen was. Yeah, the one thing that I find with the models that we have is the models allow you to step back from the operation, kind of pull the emotion out of the decision. You always can put the emotion back in if you need to, but being able to pull it out and just say, hey, here's what we know in the industry. This is what we think is going to be happening. Now you have a base. Now you can put your emotion back into that decision and say, hey, this is where I want to be based on the economics of the year. Now, with all the discussion about nitrogen, the the one disclosure I'd make is all agronomy is local. And it's that local trusted agronomic advisor that can help you through your nitrogen plan for your farm for the coming year, that it's all about that local knowledge of best practices that'll help you through this. You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperford, Winfield United Ag Technology Applications Lead, and joining us in the studio today, agronomist John Zook. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. 